Good morning. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries for May the 10th, 2020. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Today we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. If you would, go ahead and open up to the fifth chapter of Acts, and um, we're going to pick up in verse 34. In verse 34. Let's pray. Father, we love you and do ask that you go before us today. You bless the reading of your word. Lord, you would indeed open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we were together, uh, we we saw that the, the apostles, uh, they were standing before the council. Uh, they had been arrested, told not to speak in this name. They went out and done it anyway. So now they're standing before the council. And in verse 34, <clears throat> which is where we're going to start our reading, then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that ye intend, or what ye intend to do as touching these men. Now, Gamaliel says, Why don't you put these guys outside just for a little bit, and let's talk about this. Who was Gamaliel? Well, not much is known about him, but we do know <clears throat> that he was Paul's teacher. In Acts chapter 22, verse number 3, I verily a man which am a Jew, born of Tarsus, city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, was zealous toward, zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. So, <clears throat> we know that he was a very respected rabbi in Israel. Uh, he had been given the prestigious title of Rabon which only seven other rabbis had ever received in Israel's history. So other than that, we don't know that much about him, but he was very well respected. And he just said, guys, we need to take a time out here uh, and, uh, and think about what we're getting ready to do. And then he goes on and he says in verse number 36, for before these days rose up Thaddeus, or Theudas, Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, he drew away much people after him. He also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. So Gamaliel goes on and gives, gives examples of leaders who had risen up in the past and how they and their causes ultimately failed. And he also ended up with a warning that they do not want to be found fighting against God. In other words, they want to make sure that they're on the right side of this thing when the chips fell. This reminds me of the promise that Paul gave in Romans 8, 32, when he said, 
what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? In the end, no matter how it turns out, we win. <laughs> so Gamaliel is just saying, hey, you know, just let's take a breather here. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not get excited. You know, if these guys be of God, you know, then we're going to end up on the wrong side of these, this thing. And if these guys be of men, then they're going to fall away. They're going to be dispersed just like the last guys that tried this. And of course, we know that this is of God. And obviously God was using Gamaliel in this situation for sure. And then notice in verse number 40, and to him they agreed. So everybody on the council agreed with what he was saying. They called the apostles and beaten them. <laughs> they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So I find it interesting that, well, we don't want to be on the side of, uh, you know, we don't want to be, be against God, but we'll go ahead and beat these guys. I mean, it just, anyway, they were told a second time they were not to speak in the name of Jesus. Uh, notice that they were, no, they were not told to teach the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They were not told that. They said, do not teach the name of Jesus. They were preaching the, the kingdom gospel, which was the name of Jesus. Repent and be baptized. They were not preaching what we call the gospel, the gospel of grace, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They only preached the name. Why? No one could deny the resurrection at this point. Jerusalem was filled with eyewitnesses to all of it. Okay, everybody knew what had happened in Jerusalem. The gospel of the kingdom was still being preached and would continue until the mystery was revealed to the Apostle Paul. And I, when I was in my studies last night, I, I found me a rabbit trail. <laughs> uh, preachers, we have rabbit trails. In other words, we just kind of, we get off and we start looking down a road here. Um, and my point is that they... They were preaching the name. They were not preaching the death, burial, and the resurrection at this point. Um, and I'm amazed um, that there is such an obvious difference between what the apostles taught in regards to the kingdom and what Paul taught in regards to the gospel of grace. What the, the apostles taught in, in regards to the gospel of the kingdom, which was repent and be baptized, and what Paul taught, which was the death, burial, and the resurrection. And yet when I try to bring this up to people, I mean, even the most conservative commentaries, when you start reading through them, you can, you can see they, they, they acknowledge that these messages were different, but somehow they see that they're blending together uh, and, and they're becoming one. But, but it's not that. It never was that. Um, and when you, when you try to talk to people about this, it just seems like it blows their minds. They get all befuddled. They even get defensive. And yet it's so obvious. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, the apostle said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. What are we saved by? The gospel that Paul preaches. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, don't pervert the gospel that I preached unto you. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I, now he's going to say what that gospel is. That gospel 
I delivered to you first of all, which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. I remember being a young student in Bible college, and we studied that. That's the gospel. It is the gospel. I mean, the gospel tells us, it, it tells us, the this these verses is te- are telling us that the gospel that saves us is belief. Belief in not just anything, but belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. I mean, this, I mean, think about this for a moment. This gospel could not have been taught in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it had not happened yet. So what were the apostles preaching? They were preaching the same thing John the Baptist taught. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. They were preaching the same thing that Jesus taught. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. When he commissioned them in Matthew, he said, Go out and preach. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the gospel. That was the good news that they were preaching at that point. Why is it so hard to understand that? I I don't understand. Again, what was bad news to the Jew was good news to the Gentile. The bad news to the Jew was they had killed their Messiah, thus rejected his kingship and rejected his offer of the kingdom. But that crucifixion was good news to the Gentile because Paul was raised up and the body of Christ was born. Also in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is telling us that it is obtained simply by faith, and faith and belief are synonymous. No works are required. So this gospel that Paul was preaching required no works. Repentance is works. Baptism is works. This gospel, this gospel of grace, is simple faith. No works required. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. So the faith that we have, the faith that we have is in the completed work of Christ on the cross. That's what we need to believe. The cross, the preaching of the cross. You and I preach the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, for we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach repentance. We don't preach baptism. At least we're not supposed to. We preach Christ crucified. That became to the Jew a stumbling blocks. A stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, it, it's foolishness. But into, but unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, and understand the body of Christ are made of both Jews and Gentiles, or the body of Christ is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what is that you and I preach? Christ crucified. And of course, that was a stumbling stone for the Jews, and to the Greeks, which refers to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now that's referring to us Gentiles. 
we have been made alive who were previously dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are ye saved how? Repentance and baptism? No, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, we're created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, we're going to walk in those good works because of the faith that we have. And then Ephesians 2.11, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that's referring to you and me, those who are not Jews, we are called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, that's the Jews. So the Jews refer to us as the uncircumcision, they being the circumcision, that at that time ye were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and we were strangers from the covenants of promise. The covenants have nothing to do with us. We had no hope. We were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off, that's the Gentiles, you and me, are made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ when was the blood of Christ shed? At the crucifixion. <laughs> so these verses are telling us that no works are necessary under the gospel of grace at all. Only believe. That is our gospel that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 4 when he talks about our gospel that we are saved by. That's our gospel. With that said, the next obvious conclusion, and again, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of my journey. Once I realized that there's a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel that Paul preached. I mean, we've went through this. Paul repeatedly said, according to my gospel. Okay. There's, there's an obvious difference between the two. Well, in my journey here, um, I immediately concluded that the church could not been, has been started at Pentecost. Why? Because our gospel was not even made known until after the conversion of Paul to whom it was first given. So if we're saved by our gospel which is the gospel of grace that was not even made known until Paul. What happened at Pentecost? Pentecost was still the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, it's a logical deduction. The gospel of the kingdom was still being preached at Pentecost, and the gospel of the kingdom was being preached to the nation of Israel. Well, I mean... Logically, if you follow that to its natural conclusion, it leads to Paul being the first convert into the body of Christ. If those at Pentecost were not the first ones to come into the body of Christ, then who was? The guy to whom it was first given. And if it was first given to Paul, then Paul was the first one that had the opportunity to believe, to accept it by faith. He was the first one to hear the gospel of grace. 
I mean, think about it. Matter of fact, he talks about in 1 Timothy, this is very interesting. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Why? For a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Paul was the first one to accept the gospel of grace. So if Paul was the first one to hear the gospel of grace, then logically Paul was the first one to accept the gospel of grace. So that means he was he is the first member of the body of Christ. Once you realize that, you, you'll stop falling back and thinking that the church, the body of Christ, was born in Acts chapter number 2. Now, what's interesting to me here, uh, let's look at this uh, scripture, and I'll show you a little study tool uh, that I use with my e-sword, which I highly recommend. Notice he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That word chief, if you've got an e-sword, you can click on um, KJV+, which brings up the Greek or the Strong's, uh, the Strong's Concordance with its numbers. And if you look here, he says, right here, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Notice what that, that Greek word is. It's protos. It's protos. The word protos means first, beginning, foremost. So Paul says here, of whom I am chief. Now, is he saying, I am the worst sinner that's ever been in all the world? I don't think he's saying that. Because if you look down into verse 16, notice what it says. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should come hereafter. Now, notice. This word chief here is Strong's number 4413. The word is protos, which means first in order of importance, before, beginning, chief, first of all. And then you come down here and it says, might show all long suffering as a, let's see, I obtain mercy that in me first. It's the exact same word. It's the same Greek word protos. So Paul is declaring here that I was the first one. I was the beginning. And then notice what he says. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hear, for a pattern to them which should hereafter. What does the word hereafter mean? Well, I mean, look over in the KJV Plus again. <clears throat> Hereafter. Notice it says, 
be about to be, do or suffer something, events in the sense of purpose, duty. I mean, you just go through all of this after, afterwards, hereafter, which was for, will, would be yet. So Paul is saying in these verses here that I was the first one and I became the pattern for what? Notice he says, I became the pattern There's a, I'm trying to get this word here, believe. I became the pattern of belief. I became the pattern of how one would be saved under the gospel of grace, which would be by what? Belief. Not repent, not be baptized like the gospel of the kingdom, but simply by belief. As a matter of fact, you know the word Christian is not even found in the Bible until you get to a, a Acts 11, verse number 26. Acts 11, verse number 26. And when they had found him, they brought him unto Antioch, which was a Gentile church. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first. Where? Not in Jerusalem. At Antioch. Antioch. This was in 42 AD. This was a Gentile assembly. Pentecost happened in 33 AD. So it wasn't until years later that they were first called Christians. So we do the math. That's nine years later before the term Christian came about. <clears throat> which was the general assembly, which was a Gentile assembly in Acts chapter number two. So Paul, I mean, just deductive reasoning here. There's a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. Paul was the first one to respond to the gospel of grace, which means he was the first one into the body of Christ, which eliminates Acts chapter number two as being the birth of the body of Christ. Then you begin to ask yourself, well, when did Paul hear about this gospel of grace? When did Paul hear first about this gospel of grace? Well, <clears throat> that is a study that I've been taking myself on, and it brings me back to Galatians. Galatians chapter number one. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now notice he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto Christ to another gospel. Paul is obviously referring to an, some other gospel other than the gospel of grace. <clears throat> the gospel that he gave to you, that Paul gave to them, which was merely belief. And he says, you know what? It's actually <clears throat> not another. In other words, he's saying it's not good news. 
like the one that I gave you. Why? Because one's, one is of works and one is of faith. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So is he referring to the gospel of the kingdom or is he referring to the gospel of grace? He's obviously not referring to the gospel of grace. He's referring to them trying to mix, to mingle the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace. And I submit to you that the average church does this today. They will say, you got to you got to repent and be baptized, but remember, it's by faith. Or they'll say, you got to believe and be, you got to repent and believe and then be baptized. What are they doing? They're doing exactly what the apostle Paul warned the Galatians about. And he said, these people are troubling you. And he said, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And I said before, so I now say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you've received, let him be accursed. They were mixing the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace, which Paul referred to as another gospel that wasn't a gospel. It wasn't good news. It was bad news. They were mingling the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace. You can add grace to law, but you can't add grace to faith. I mean, no, I'm sorry. You can't. You can add grace to the law, but you can't add law to faith. For I do not persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. I neither I neither received it of men nor was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, I didn't get my gospel from the apostles. No one taught me my gospel. It was revealed to me and only to me. For ye heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. He's clearly separating Christianity from the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. I wasted it. And I profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Who's the heathen? You and me, Gentiles, immediately I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't run up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia, and then I returned again unto Damascus. So when did Paul first hear this gospel of grace? Was it in Arabia? I mean, because he's, why did he go up to Arabia? And why was that significant to the story? And he said, and then I returned again unto Damascus. And then after three years, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And I abode with him for 15 days. So I'm asking the question, when did Paul hear this gospel of grace? When did the apostle Paul become the first convert into the body of Christ? Was it in Arabia? 
Well, I mean, he mentions it. Something happened when he when he went into Arabia. And then afterward, he went to Jerusalem to see Peter, and he stayed there for 15 days. In verse number 18, see, I stayed there 15 days. But verse number 19 says, But other of the apostles saw I not save James the Lord's brother. So this could he could not be referring to the council of Jerusalem that occurred in Acts chapter 15 because the other apostles were there. So this was a visit that Paul took after he had spent some time in Arabia. He went and he talked to Peter and he saw James's brother. So did Paul hear this gospel of grace and become this first convert? In Arabia? I'm not prepared to say yay or nay. Or when did Paul hear it? Because he goes on and he, he says in, let's see, in, in Galatians chapter number two, he says, then 14 years after I went up again with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So, did Paul receive this gospel in Arabia? Or did he receive it after Arabia? I'm just not sure. I'm not prepared to answer that question. But at some point, Paul received this gospel. Some point, he heard it and he believed it. He was the first convert. And he says, I went up to Jerusalem and I communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, which is the gospel of grace, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I had run in vain. So he wanted to make sure that the apostles and he were on the same paper, piece of paper, not necessarily preaching the same gospel because they didn't preach the same gospel. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, they didn't want to convert to Judaism first in order to be a Christian. But there were people who were coming in and spying out their liberty and saying, man, you got to be circumcised. You got to keep the law in order to be a Jew. You got to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure where the Apostle Paul received this revelation, this gospel of grace. I'm not sure where he became the first convert into Christianity. It's it's still a subject of study for me, so I'm going to not hypothesize at this moment. Either way, at some point after Paul's conversion, he received the, the mystery. He received our gospel. He received the gospel of grace. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verse 7 says something interesting. It says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Is that the revelations that Paul was referring to when he says that he went up to Jerusalem? Is, is that when Paul received the revelation? Well, I'm, I'm just not sure. But I do know <clears throat> that th this is interesting. Um, something happened in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse number 7, 
But that was around 46 AD. If you look at that time when Paul received these revelations, how that all fits, I'm still working on it. I know that Paul was converted on the road to Damascus in 34 AD, which was a full year after Pentecost. So when Paul responded in Acts chapter number 9, was he obviously he was responding to the gospel of the kingdom. So Paul first responded to the gospel of the kingdom. And yet later the gospel of grace was revealed unto him and he became the first in the body of Christ for pattern to all that should come hereafter. That means, <laughs> boys and girls, that Paul was teaching the gospel of the kingdom initially, just like the apostles were. But after the mystery was revealed, after the gospel of grace was given to him, which I'm not sure exactly when that happened. Some seem to be a little more dogmatic about it. I'm not prepared to do that. He preached the gospel of grace. I believe that one of the mistakes that we make as we read the book of Acts is thinking that it all happened at the same time. It didn't. The first chapter, Acts chapter 1, is 33 A.D., the last chapter is 63 A.D. Acts covers a period of 30 years. Another way to think about it is Paul was converted in 34 A.D. And the council in Jerusalem wasn't until at least 52 A.D. That's 19 years. And of course, those 19 years cover the three years before, after he came back into Arabia and went and seen Peter, and the 14 years when he went to Jerusalem and met with them at the council. 19 years. So again, I'm not ready to hypothesize on that. But be that as it may, our gospel. That's my rabbit trail for the day. There's a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. Study it. Don't get all defensive. And don't go out and trap your preacher and tell him to explain this to you. Study it yourself. Get a grasp on it. Understand it. Now, let's get back into Acts. Acts verse number 41. <clears throat> get my notes back here. Verse number 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. So it's been a while since we've actually looked at the text. So <laughs> this is referring to Gamaliel when he said, hey, you guys don't want to be against God here. You know, if it's, it's, if, if, if it's of man, they're going to perish just like everybody before them. If it's of God, we don't want to be found on the wrong side of this issue. So they beat them and they sent them out and told them not to preach in this name. And they departed, in verse number 41 it says, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. So instead of being bitter about the whole thing, they counted it an honor to suffer shame for his name. But notice, they continued daily in the temple. 
the temple was still fully operational and the center of Jewish life. Nothing had changed in regard to the temple and their participation in the temple. They were not meeting at the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. They did not, they were not walking away from Judaism. When we get to Paul, we will find that other than a vow that he took to reach the Jewish nation, he will have nothing to do with the temple. But until he took that vow, he continued in the temple just like everybody else did. He doesn't tell his new converts, you have to go to Jerusalem and be a part of what's going on in the temple. No, that's when the fellowship started that started in the homes. So if you think about it, the apostles were still meeting in the temple. They were still meeting in the temple and in every house. And that just means they were fellowshipping and talking about what, what was happening in Jerusalem and Jesus. And, and they ceased not to teach the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. No, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The temple was still a part of daily life. The apostles were still participating in worship at the temple, as was Paul when he first converted under the gospel of the kingdom. It was later that under Paul that they began to break away from the temple and actual churches started. But that happened under Paul. Put a little note here. In reality, the entire concept of a building as a meeting place is foreign to the early church because the early church was not allowed in the temple. The early church would not have wanted to go to the temple because they were under the gospel of grace. They were not making sacrifices. They were not a part of that Jewish system. So they were meeting in homes. They were home churches. They were home fellowships. So as the church, under the preaching of Paul, under the gospel of grace, started, fellowships began in church in homes, not in buildings. Historically, the big buildings that we meet in today are simply throwbacks to the Roman churches as they attempted to set themselves up as the new Israel. The big buildings, the whole concept of the, the building came out of the Protestant Reformation, actually. And if you look at, it's, it's interesting, I, I love history. Um, if you study, you look at the setup, you can walk into a church, for example, and tell the denomination, at least I can, um, where do they put the communion table? How, where does, you know, if you look in a, in a, in a Baptist church, for example, the communion table is in front of the preacher. But if you look in a Catholic or an Orthodox or type church, where's the communion table? It's behind the preacher. The priest is acting as mediator between God and man. But in the Baptistic churches, the communion table is in front of the preacher, accessible to all. There's a difference in doctrine and in teaching there, depending on where that communion table is. 
in the Baptist type churches, and I relate to them because that's my background. The the pulpit is behind the communion table, but it's in the center, denoting the the word of God being the center. But if you look in other churches, the podium is off to the side, usually off to the left, and the communion table is left alone. So in those churches, the priest is not the mediator. The pastor is off to the side. So just the way the church is set is represents the doctrine of that church and how they view our relationship with God through the communion table. And I don't want to blow your mind in regards to what I've I've already come to believe in regards to the communion table. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. I've, I don't want to lose even more of you. So I think we'll wrap up there. Uh, that's about 40 minutes worth of study. Uh, but anyway, that is Acts chapter number five. And I hope you guys are enjoying this. I do. I mean, I spend my time just studying and I've completely ripped up my old Acts notes, to be honest with you, because they are so wrong, I don't even refer to them <laughs> anymore. Um, but I encourage you, study and see if these things be so. I'm telling you, it'll, it'll revolutionize the way you approach Scripture. It'll make you slow down and start reading. Who is speaking? Who are they speaking to? And what did those who heard it understand stand to be understand to be said? We have got to take the filters off when we come to the Word of God. We have got to stop assuming this or that. We need to know not only what we believe, but we need to know why we believe it, and we need to be able to point it out in Scripture. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great great week. Remember, always, God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.